welcome back to Great Quarter. Guys, we're back after a week off last week, and we're back with episode 86 of the show where the lines between freight, finance, and tech are none. I'm your host, Andrew Cox. I'm alongside lead economist Anthony Smith once again today. And we've got a really exciting interview coming up here in a few moments. We're going to have the Emerge CFO, Brad Blomstrom, with us. Going to talk about that big funding round they just had. They just raked in a boatload of money from a lot of really impressive line of investors. So going to talk about what the last year has been uh, at Emerge. I know it's been explosive, but also what they're planning to do with that money and talk a little bit about the business in general. So before we hop into our chart of the day, I do want to take a moment to thank my sponsor, DDC FPO. This episode is brought to you by DDC FPO. DDC is a business process outsourcing provider that specializes in freight, perhaps best known for freight billing. DDC can turn your back office into a profit center. Discover how to cut expenses and increase margins at ddcfpo.com. So before we get to the chart today, I did want to make a point of kind of about the other uh, theme of today's top of, of today's discussion. That's going to be what what is out of stock for Christmas. We're yeah. going to kind of give our expectations given the shortages we have now, what inventory looks like right now at major retailers, and also talk about this power outage going on uh, in China and in Europe as well, and how that's going to affect the global supply chain. But first, let's hop into the chart of the day. I've got one for you. This comes by way of Zach Strickland, our Sultan of Sonar. We're looking here at our. This is the inbound tender rejection index. So not the outbound, what is being rejected leaving a freight market, but what is being rejected that's headed into a freight market. So it's kind of the opposite of OTRI, the inverse, if you will. And here we are looking at all of the major regions in the U.S. We've got eight regions, northeast, uh, south, southeast, southwest, such of that nature. Uh, The big point here is that for the last two years, they've been really tightly correlated, uh, depending on, you know, there wasn't really a any one place where carriers wanted to go way more than the others. But that has changed in 2020, or 2021 rather. Since July, you can see that pink, that pink and pinkish purple line at the bottom. That is the inbound tender reject index headed into the West Coast. Okay, what this tells you is that carriers want to be on the West Coast. They understand that there is nonstop freight out there and they are rejecting freight headed out there at half the rate of all of the other regions. So it's just, it, it kind of explains to you how dislocated this freight market is uh, and what this does is, is it basically just makes rates headed east a lot better than headed west. I saw also in Zach Strickland's um, chart of the week um, report that came out last week. You should check it out. There's a bunch of great charts in there. But uh, what he spoke about there was he, he looked at the spot rates from L.A. to Dallas and from Dallas to L.A. L.A. to Dallas up 176% off of the trough in uh, April of last year. Dallas to L.A. only up 30%. So... <laughs> You just see those rates just uh, explode headed to the east rather than headed to the west. But this causes dislocation of freight markets where it's probably going to get further dislocated moving forward. We think about the Port of L.A. running 24-7, trying to clear up that massive port congestion they have out there. I'll give you a little update on that in a second. But that's going to, they might run third or four shifts, have the the longshoremen there, but you still need the trains. You still need the trucks to get there. And as this chart shows you, carriers are willing to go out there and they know that they can get good rates coming back. Exactly. I was talking with uh, Donnie Gilbert just yesterday on Freight Moves Now. Of course, he has his uh, broker update or carrier update, I should say. And so in going over that, he really broke down the strategy behind being able to go to some of these markets, take a loss potentially because you're going to make all your money coming back out of L.A. And so it was just really interesting hearing some of the tactics, some of the strategy, and some of the thoughts around that because you can definitely outline on a heat map and sonar, of course, where all the opportune lanes are and kind of plan out your routes around that. But really is coming coming down to the wire here. We're talking, you coined the phrase perfectly, I think, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, the peakest of peak seasons. Yeah, peakiest. And we are in it right now. Yeah, we're in it, and it's likely to get worse from here. Uh, 
But yeah, go check out that article. It's called uh, something about Gold Rush. You type in FreightWaves Gold Rush. It's a modern day gold rush of carriers heading to the West Coast. So let me uh, pop into two quick top stories and then we're going to bring on Brad. So we've been doing this congestion check every week. I did want to give an update to you here. This is the ship report as of yesterday, the 27th of September. There's 148 total ships in the port of LA Long Beach. That includes 92 at anchor uh, and 56 at berth. Of the 148 that are in there, 97 are container ships and there's 67 at anchor. So a little bit less than last week. I think we popped just over 70 uh, this time last week, but again, 67 ships, many more than we had at the peak back in uh, April of this year or in March of this year rather. Uh, but there is something to say about the size of the ships. These ships are about 15 to 20% smaller on average than those ships. So we, while there is about 30, or while there is about 50% more ships now, there's only about 30% more TEU capacity than there was at the previous peak. So it's not, it's a little bit um, inflated just looking at ships. You got to look at that total TEU capacity as well. Okay, uh, one last story here. If you haven't been keeping up with the um, with, with China's energy situation, you really should because it's going to make a major impact on the global economy. I just want to read a couple things to you. China may be diving headfirst into a power supply shock that could hit Asia's largest economy just as hard as the Evergrande crisis sends shockwaves through its financial system. The crackdown on power consumption is being driven by rising demand for electricity and surging coal and gas prices, as well as strict targets from Beijing to cut emissions. It's coming first to the country's mammoth manufacturing industries, from aluminum smelters to textile producers and soybean processing plants. Factories are being ordered to curb activities or in some cases shut altogether, and that is becoming more and more likely uh, shutting altogether. Almost half of China's regions missed their energy consumption targets that were set by Beijing, and now they're under pressure to curb their energy use. And among the most affected areas are three of the biggest industrial powerhouses that account for a third of China's economy. And there is one thing to say here. I mean, a lot of this energy crisis is partially of its own making. Uh, President Xi Jinping says he wants to have blue skies there for the Beijing uh, Winter Olympics in February. So that's kind of one of these big pushes. And he also kind of wants to, to just show the international economy how serious he is and how serious Beijing is about decarbonizing the economy. So it's a little bit um, self-inflicted, but it is going to have ripple effects for everyone else in the, in the, in the, uh, in the world because, as we all know, most everything we buy comes from China and they're having major, major, I mean, they're shutting factories down for whole um, weeks at a time. So it's something to keep an eye on, most certainly. Yeah, I mean, you talk about China, they move as a monolith. That's one of the advantages that they have right. as their government is set up in such a way. So looking at that, just as you mentioned, the Evergrande situation was going on right now, that's going to be a whole other aspect of China's capacity to produce along with these power or power outages. And so looking at these two things together, when you look at the infrastructure that China is on the country, or on the world, I should say, it's, it's not easily replaceable. No. So all this capacity taken offline in China and potentially more in the future is definitely concerning and might push some uh, uh, more talks around nearshoring. But yep. really, that infrastructure can't be replicated in an overnight or even in a decade, really, in new countries just because it's been built out specifically for that. Yeah, and in, in addition to that, I mean, uh, the toy makers are probably the, the space that has the most likelihood of being out of stocks right now. They can start making stuff here, but all of the resin still comes from China. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult things to, you might be able to shift your manufacturing, but your raw material sourcing is still coming from uh, many of the same places. So it's not, it's a delicate and tricky balance. But all right, let's bring on Brad uh, Blomstrom here. He's the, the CFO of Emerge. Brad, thanks so much for joining us. Hey guys, uh, long time, first time. Yeah, I love it. Hey, are you uh, are you in Scottsdale right now? I'm in Boston right now. Uh, I kind of ah, split gotcha. time between the coast. Um, okay. Try to maximize the time in Scottsdale in the winter. 
Nah, I see. Yeah, I just I was in there this past weekend for a bachelor party. I was it was it was beautiful and I, I loved it, but I was just amazed at how little grass there was. I was talking to Anthony about that. He went to New Mexico. This State, is about so as green as Arizona definitely. ever looks, by the way. This is one of the greenest <laughs> summers they've had in a long time. Wow. Okay. Well, we will leave it at that. Let's talk about this funding raise, man. You guys just raised a boatload of money. Congratulations, uh, first and foremost. But for the for the you know uninitiated here, can you briefly explain what Emerge does and what what is they're doing different from the status quo right now? What what is revolutionary and why were uh, these investment firms lining up to to fund you? Definitely. So so what we're trying to do at Emerge uh, essentially is saying, looking out the world and saying, hey, there's four hundred billion dollars of of for hire truckload being procured primarily with spreadsheets and email. Mm -hmm. The process for handling procurement at any major shipper, even very large sophisticated shippers that are doing hundreds of millions of dollars of freight uh, purchase transportation a year, it's still kind of in the early innings of digitization. So what we want to do is streamline that workflow uh, for major shippers and allow them to procure, you know, kind of in the digital age, you know, less spreadsheets and email and phone calls, more digital platform. And we marry that with a network of thousands of carriers in the back end that also have the ability to provide lower rates um, while shippers can also keep their existing uh, carrier networks and, and broker networks in, in place as well. So the value prop to shippers is really twofold. It's, you know, how can I streamline my procurement, um, you know, take things out of my email inbox and onto a platform? And number two, you know, everybody wants capacity right now. Uh, it's a, no, no secret. It's a very constrained market. Um, we provide an initial avenue for, for better rates in this environment. Um, you know, so there's kind of two value props there to the shipper. And then on the carrier side, you know, it's, it's about kind of democratizing access to freight. So, you know, there are tens of thousands of carriers out there that are capable of running freight for a Fortune 500 shipper. 99% um, of them are locked out uh, because they don't have a sales force to get in front of it. So we bring those carriers to this freight directly while it's in the procurement phase. Yeah, the long tail of capacity available there <clears throat> for certain. And I'll, I'll say this, uh, I'll, I'll give you a pat on the back here. I just love the UI of Emerge. It it's amazing to me. Some of these freight tech companies, they are focused on revolutionizing the world, but it looks like it was built and you know made for Windows 95. So I do appreciate your uh, your new age design. Let's let's talk about this new investor group though, because there was some really big names that you guys brought on board. Um, what do these new investors bring to the table, and what are you excited about? Yeah, so we're really excited. So uh, we just raised a round, uh, kind of co-led uh, by Nine Yards Capital. Um, Tiger Global um, and, and the Spruce House Partnership, um, along with kind of our existing investors, Craycroft and New Road. Um, so our existing folks have been really helpful. They're very knowledgeable in the logistics category. I think the new folks in particular, um, you know, Nine Yards Tiger and Spruce House give us, you know, kind of global reach, you know, access to capital to really take a, a big swing here at creating a category defining product. So we're really excited to have them on board. Um, you know, I think Nine Yards is, is already been invested for a while. They, they participated in the Series A in a smaller uh, role at that time and really stepped up um, to kind of you know, spearhead the Series B here. So we're really excited to have those folks here. Very active in logistics space. Nine Yards in particular, for example, only does logistics tech and, and fintech. So they're not trying to be everything to everyone. I think they kind of found what they liked and wanted to double down. Um, and then Tiger and Spruce House, very knowledgeable, um, you know, access to kind of expansion capital and crossover ability into the public markets if that's a road we decide to go down down the road. So Brett, I, I want to get your insight on something I think that Emerge and FreightWaves has in common, and that's that deep industry knowledge. I mean, we're looking at what Craig Fuller did with FreightWaves. He went around the country, found the best of the best, and really want to foster that, what he called a tribal knowledge. When I'm looking at Emerge, I'm seeing a lot of the same thing, that deep industry knowledge. Can you talk about what kind of advantages comes from having that deep industry knowledge for 
your company and what kind of uh, leverage it gives over competitors? Yeah, I think that's kind of one of our pieces of secret sauce is that, um, you know, we're we're guys and gals that have been in the freight industry for a long time. Generally speaking, the, the Lettos and the team they've built, you know, having gone through building Global Trans into, you know, billion dollar plus brokerage and, and 10-4 before it sailed to Trimble. Um, a lot of folks around the table at Emerge have kind of been here and have lived the experience. Um, and so we kind of have an advantage just informationally kind of what the pain points were. And so, for example, a lot of the innovators in our category have focused purely on the capacity side and kind of automating brokerage. We think that's important, um, but we think the value to the shipper, for example, is more than that. It's how do you make workflow better, um, which actually is generally the stronger hook when we're talking to new shippers is they're just kind of fed up with the archaic nature of procurement. Um, and so having folks from the industry kind of build that um, has been an advantage for us and just having, you know, folks have been living it for two decades is, is we avoid some of the more costly mistakes out there. Yeah, certainly. Brad, to that end, what, uh, what are some of the most important KPIs that you guys watch and, and why are they important to you? Yeah, I mean, I think our view is at this point, you know, how can we become the hub for freight procurement? So there's real value in us being becoming the centralized location where shippers procure their freight and carriers know that there's freight available for them to acquire and, and you know, fulfill their um, capacity or their um, demand needs with. And so the biggest value for us is kind of how can we grow density on the platform, um, specifically in contract freight, for example, you know, dynamic RFP, which is our um, RFP product for procuring contract freight, which is the first RFP platform designed specifically for truckload contract freight um, has been live for about a year. How do we get, you know, every fortune 500 shipper to use that for their contract needs or as many as we can so that, Carriers know that we're the destination where freight lives um, and shippers know, you know, that we are an industry leader when it comes just not just to workflow, but also to carrier engagement on the back end as well, so that they're accessing better rates and, and tapping into that longer tail more efficiently. Whereas previously, that's been kind of relegated to emails and phone calls with brokers. Right. Can you talk a little bit about the response or the reaction to the dynamic RFP offering? Yeah, it's been really exciting. So it's been in the market for roughly a year now. Um, you know, with a couple kind of uh, tentpole users that have, have kind of helped launch the product about a year ago. And so we've grown that platform to where, you know, this year we'll do 3 billion plus 4 billion or so in RFP volume and in contract uh, free procurement on our platform, which we think is really exciting for, you know, a, a product that's relatively new. Um, and so we think it, it kind of shows the need in the market right now for a, a purpose-built procurement platform. So what we mean by that is that, Historically, anybody that used the software platform for RFPs in this category generally only could do so on an annual basis. Um, as a lot of shippers are experiencing right now, annual bids aren't cutting it. Mm. Um, you know, uh, route guides are a, a disaster right now. Uh, rejection rates are at all-time highs. So our ability to kind of act as an RFP for any duration, whether it's a week, up to three months, up to a year, beyond, um, that flexibility is really important to shippers right now. Um, and so I think... It's a really important moment for how procurement happens in the industry. And people are waking up to the need for a platform that can be flexible versus being able to kind of set and forget it with one annual RFP, uh, because it seems like those days are gone or at least aren't going to be back for a year plus at this point. Hey, Brad, on that note with long and short-term contracts, we were talking a lot about this, um, especially early in the year. Do you think that this kind of movement towards shorter-term contracts is just a function of just how difficult things are right now? Or do you think this is something that sticks long-term? Uh, shippers and carriers both kind of enjoy the flexibility that it brings. I think it's a long-term move. Um, it's not. I mean, it's probably 
a stronger prop value prop now than it might be in a normal environment. But I think generally speaking, shippers have been constrained just because of the workflow piece. So, you know, running an annual RFP can take a month plus of work from the procurement team. You don't have the ability just operationally to do that more frequently. I think with a platform where you can run a bid, you know, in a couple of days work or a week's work on our platform, you know, people are going to start leveraging that much more consistently. So, you know, even if right now we're probably overweight on seasonal bids, you know, for shippers out there just trying to scramble to find capacity, but not lock in, you know, the most expensive rates they've ever seen. I think fundamentally annual contracts are probably going to lose share a little bit towards, you know, these more flexible duration bids, just so that shippers can be more responsive to what the market is at any given moment. Hey Brad, just, you know, thinking back to the FreightWaves article that was posted about the announcement a few days ago, uh, it seemed that Emerge generated about, a, I think, about a 5% gross margin on the sales as of lately. And I think that would be industry leading for some of these kind of new age, um, you know, freight tech companies, these digital matching uh, and digital marketplace companies. What, what's enabling Emerge, Emerge to, you know, generate better margins than some of the competition? Yeah, I think, um, number one, just kind of expertise. Um, you know, we, we didn't come in trying to you know, from the outside, try to revolutionize freight. I think people that are in Emerge have been living in the freight world for a while. Um, I think number two, you know, we're not kind of grow at all costs. Um, Because we are the centralized location where procurement happens, um, you know, we are the bid. We don't need to kind of keep earning our seat at the table as a broker might. Um, So I think we're a little bit insulated um, from some folks that have kind of had to, to win their share, you know, the painful way. Um, which was kind of the standard way to grow a brokerage historically. Um, you know, I think by enabling kind of carrier activity directly on the platform, you can you can establish a much more profitable outcome uh, long term. Brad, other than, you know, maybe just capacity getting more difficult to procure, what uh, how have the challenges changed for you guys at Emerge over the past year? Uh, going into holiday season last year, how is it different going into holiday season this year? Yeah, I mean, well, t- 2020 is wild. Um, you know, mm-hmm. who knows what would have happened uh, in kind of, April, May of last year, long term, you know, with such a drastic drop off in volumes kind of across the table. But kind of since then, we've been in an extended peak season. So um, and I don't know when the, uh, the the pressure on the industry is going to tail off, certainly not before the end of the year. Um, you know, the challenges that emerge have been how do we stay responsive and keep, you know, allowing our platform to help shippers and carriers deal with the tight capacity in the marketplace. So one example, for, for, for example, is we have a product service uh, out called spot protection, where um, if you have an existing route guide that is kind of crumbling in front of you and all your carriers are rejecting, you know, you can offer a, a tender to emerge and we'll, you know, find a carrier in our marketplace if we can to keep that from hitting the spot marketplace, you know, where you see rapid cost inflation. And so that kind of innovation and kind of short term nimble activity on our end um, has been a challenge uh, to kind of keep up with the needs of, of shippers. But, you know, delivering on that has been really important. Um, and so shippers are, are kind of scrambling for capacity all over the place right now and trying to keep their budgets in line. Um, so a- allowing them to do that has been very difficult, uh, but it's been a concerted effort both from our development team, but also just kind of like how we think about, you know, where we want to spend our team, our time as a company, you know, is it, you know, iterating on spot? Is it kind of developing more RFP features because we need greater flexibility and instead of trying to win the annual, do we start with the seasonal bid uh, with folks? So it's just kind of trying to maximize flexibility on our end because as you guys can probably appreciate, in every two weeks, something different and crazy happens. Um, so you just kind of have to be kind of roll with the punches a little bit. 
Yeah, we definitely can appreciate it. That is, uh, that's what we're here for. So Brad, uh, before I let you go, what, um, is there any kind of broad strokes to paint about what your customers are, are asking for right now or are telling you um, going into the holiday season? Are they confident? Are they not confident? What can you tell us? I mean, it's going to be a tough holiday season for everybody. You know, I think inventory levels are still really depressed, uh, even for normal, not even just holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think shippers are really trying to, again, maintain that flexibility. So everybody right now wants as much capacity as they can find for a holiday season. And maybe they do an annual bid, you know, sometime in the new year when there's maybe better visibility and what's, what capacity is going to look like. But I think they want to stay as nimble as possible um, while minimizing the pain, you know the shorter duration capacity you're acquiring, the more expensive it's probably going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so shippers are really kind of weighing, you know, whether they want to take a short-term hit uh, versus, you know, locking in long-term predictability. But again, long-term RFPs are, are really difficult to uphold right now, uh, kind of given where rejection rates are. So it's finding the right capacity for the right shipper um, and kind of having predictability as much as possible. But, you know, you got 70 ships off, off the coast of LA right now. Um, who knows when and how that freight's going to move. Uh, but use something like that pops up every week now. Yeah, I mean, it does. It's just like body blow after body blow. Every time we get <laughs> seem to get a little stabilizing, we've got a weather event or we've got something else in the supply chain globally. But all right, Brad, this has been great, man. Thanks so much for your time. Where should we send anybody that wants to get in touch with you or learn more about Emerge? Emergemarket.com. Um, you know, come check us out either for, for a, a job or for a procurement platform. We're up in both. All right, that's great. I'm sure you got a fresh round of funding. Got to find some people to, uh, to give it to. Thanks so much, Brad. Again, we'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. All righty. That was awesome. That was the CFO of Emerge, Brad Blomstrom. Uh, Brad Blomstrom, I'm sorry about that. Uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, and so when I think of Emerge, I think of one of the few winners and one of the true winners I, when I'm looking at the freight tech space because it seems like every time that you know freight is on the forefront then volumes are going crazy, these freight tech companies kind of pop up and then kind of start to disappear mm. when things dry up. Yeah. They were here before, you know, it was really busting and, and, and buzzing around. And I think they're going to definitely be around far after when things kind of start to normalize again. So definitely a good one to watch. Yeah, most definitely. Um, yeah, excited to, uh, to watch emerge in the next couple of years. Okay, let's, uh, let's hop into you, Karen. Now we've got a few moments here to knock them out. So last episode, two weeks ago, I brought to you uh, kind of the, uh, the, the thought that Nike should get downgraded. There was a couple of analysts that were downgrading Nike's stock. Well, Last Thursday, Nike slashed its 2022 fiscal revenue outlook uh, because of the temporary bottlenecks plaguing its logistics business. It now takes Nike roughly 80 days to get goods from Asia to North America. That's about double pre-pandemic transit times, and manufacturing facilities across Vietnam are beginning to reopen, but Nike's lost 10 weeks of production due to pandemic shutdowns. And like we said two weeks ago, uh, more than 43%, between 43 and 50% of Nike's footwear is produced there in Vietnam. So if you want your Nike shoes, go ahead and get them now. You're probably going to have to pay extra for them. Just prepare yourself for a very, very short stock on Nike and, and also some other apparel companies as well. Okay, uh, first one. This is a pretty interesting article, a pretty interesting report that was uh, written by BMO Capital Markets. The team over there, Simeon Siegel, who has been on uh, Point of Sale once before, fantastic analyst group over there. They threw a little cold water on this D2C pivot. We've talked about this a lot on FreightWaves. Uh, I mean, I'm here on Great Quarter, guys. I'm also talking about it at length at point of sale. All the major brands and even a lot of the retailers are trying to capture some more direct-to-consumer sales, either through uh, e-commerce or through um, opening up their own stores. Uh, but BMO Capital Markets is a little bit weary. They're saying that as brands and large and small try to capture more margin by selling directly to consumers, 
the, the, the team at BMO Capital Markets questioned whether the strategy is truly more profitable. In a recent report, the analysts found that wholesale sales came with higher margins before taxes and interest than D2C sales. It was actually 1,000 basis points, 10%. Big difference. Uh, moreover, shifts to D2C channels could translate into lower sales overall, even though brands capture more of the sales price for themselves. The BMO analyst wrote that although revenue per item grows at D2C, the units lost by abandoning wholesale generally overwhelm the unit price lifts at D2C. So, Anthony, you care or not about this, you know, just kind of maybe putting a little cold water on this D2C movement? Nah, I think, I think with everything, it's going to have to be a blend. Um, so maybe you do some D2C, maybe you still do some of the traditional wholesale. But when you're looking at what kind of consumer you're acquiring, I think you're acquiring a different type of consumer when you're going D2C. I mean, you might look at acquiring that type of consumer that's going to be a returning customer as opposed to maybe that 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 mass audience that you really is going to you're going to grow your profits and your margins from. So, I think D2C you're really going to be able to capitalize on those direct fans or the, those uh, consumers that are going to have more brand loyalty for you. And maybe this will be even better for smaller operations because wholesale isn't going to be for everybody. It's going to be a way to maximize growth and really pump up your growth. But really, I think we're looking at it. It's going to be like anything. It's going to have to be a blend. Yeah, that's a. I mean, that's a really good point. You think about Nike and Under Armour, these companies that have set really strong targets for themselves to get to D2C. They're still only like 35, 40% targets. You know, eventually they'll get to 50 and and try to get higher from there. But they're they're trying to take it in stepwise. I think the the point here to make is that look at all of the recent IPOs or the upcoming IPOs from direct consumer companies, whether it be Casper or Warby Parker um, or a handful of other D2C companies none of them are profitable. Mm. Um, And they're all now rapidly trying to strike up partnerships with Nordstrom and with Target and with wherever they can get in physical spaces because physical spaces can be a really proud, a really big um, brand builder for these companies. You know, stepping into a Warby Parker eyewear glasses uh, shop, it's not going to be as easy as just popping into the little shop and shop there at Target. You trust Target, you trust the way that they they merchandise stuff uh, and that's just a a nice brand builder for them. You just think about, I, I do wonder... How much of this is short term? Um, you know, maybe 2022, 2023, when the costs start to stabilize a little bit, you know, fulfillment costs, logistics costs, transportation, labor, all of these have risen so fast that it might just kind of, it, it, it stops these companies' ability to scale. And that mm-hmm. has been their number one calling card is that we can scale faster than everyone else because we're, you know, we're digital, uh, we're, we're, we're savvy, but the costs are so high right now that it might not make as a lot of sense. So I don't know, it's just gonna be something to watch. Yeah, and I think uh, kind of real quick along that point, buying some things in store or in person is going to be a huge advantage. Like I bought a mattress online, sight unseen, just ship it in a little box and expands. I was a little bit shaky at first, but it ended up working out. But I could see it would have been real inconvenient for me to find out a way to ship it back. But. Yeah, oh, most definitely. I, I did the same thing. Actually, yeah. I had a great experience buying a mattress online with Sealy. That's who I went with. Uh, it was awesome. Came in yeah. the box, ready. And it, was, it was great. Uh, I won't. Uh, we don't have too much time on these, but I just I'll just run through them and uh, mention them to you. So, Costco, Nike, and FedEx are warning that there is more inflation ahead. This you know shouldn't come as any surprise. We think yeah. about labor costs. I, I saw a report that um, the average retail wage um, growth over 2019 is going to be 50 percent this holiday season. I mean, these retailers know that they have strong consumer demand. They know that they're with, with Delta waning, they're probably going to have some packed stores on Black Friday and Cyber or Black Friday holiday. Uh, and they're willing to pay up to, yeah. to make sure that they can get some good um, laborers in their stores. So uh, expect to see higher costs this uh, holiday season, not only because of higher um, you know, raw material and labor and actual cost at the, at the retailer, um, but also just lack of inventory. There's going to be fewer deals. They're going to be less incentivized to do deals because, again, pretty strong demand headed into the holiday season. 
All right, that has been it for episode 86 of The Great Quarter, guys. Uh, of the lines, <laughs> the show where the lines between freight and finance are none. We will, of course, be back next Tuesday at 3 p.m. If you enjoyed this, go ahead and uh, subscribe to us wherever you're listening to this now, either Apple or Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We'll see you again next weekend. See you.